So, uh, my name is Jonathan, in case you didn't know, and uh, I'm particularly conscious today, as we always are, that I'm speaking to a number of audiences. Uh, I'm speaking to you here, later I'll be speaking to people in North, and I hope, and I passionately hope, that I'm speaking to a lot of other people on video this morning. Because uh, whether you're here or not, and for whatever reason, if you're not here, this is a message for our whole church family. And it's really, I feel it's really important. I want to reach our whole church family. So if you know somebody who's not here this morning, for whatever reason, you want to tell them to get hold of the video, please. You may remember that when Steve introduced this series, he used a quote from John Mark Comer. And uh, it said this, while the church is not less than Sunday services, it is far more. But it carries on. Church must become a thick web of interdependent relationships between resilient disciples of Jesus, deeply loyal to the way. Whew, that's a chunky sentence with a lot to chew on there. And I'm going to leave it with you to chew on as we continue today in our series on God-centered community. As we work our way through the Bible book of Exodus... I want you to be thinking about what community actually means. It's a word we often use. What does it mean? Our Sunday gatherings here is just one marvelous expression of our life together as a community. But it's an important one, but not the only one. It's not enough. There is far, far more. We've seen, as we looked at the previous chapters, that God's chosen people were in Egypt, they were slaves. They'd been there a long time and they were suffering. Life was tough and there seemed to be no way out. And then after many years, God hears their cry. He appoints Moses and he charges Moses with getting his people out of Egypt, of setting them free. So let's see how that works out. We're in Exodus chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh... This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. They answered, The God of Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, or else he may strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous and you would stop them from their labor. That day... Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. My title today is No One Said It Would Be Easy. 
What happened with the Israelites? Their God story matters because we can learn from it. Because there are parallels and similarities between us as the people of God and the Israelites. They were God's community. They had a call to be God's community on a journey, just like we are. They were to leave behind a life of slavery and walk together towards the promised land, a physical place for them, heaven for us. They were a people that God walked with and was amongst as he is for us. And after all they've been through, finally, the Israelites have hope. But as so often happens when God calls us, things didn't get better. They actually got worse. Pharaoh, who doesn't know God and scorns God, makes the life of the Israelites even more difficult. They have to find their own straw to put in the mud bricks they were forced to make. And they have to make as many as they did before it was given to them. They have to work harder. They get beaten more. You may have felt that after all we perhaps have experienced in this last two years, that at last we have a sense of, whoa, there is hope. It's all going to be over. We can get back to normal. But as we take steps to move on from the impacts of COVID, from the questions that it has raised for us, to find our way forward, now we may think and feel differently, you may find, like me, that it's not perhaps as easy as we thought it was going to be. Why might that be? Well, I'm sure in some ways, God doesn't want us to go back to how we were. And while I believe that's true, there's something else as well. We have a clear call, I believe, to build a deeper, wider community that's centered around God. And the reason that's hard is because we have an enemy. Just like the Israelites had an enemy. In fact, we have three, to be precise. And these three enemies all combine to try and prevent us forming community, from trying to do what God has called us to do, to be the sort of community that changes our world, where people can see that we are followers of Jesus by the way we love one another, that changes where we live and work and study. But remember, in everything I'm saying, I want you to be thinking not through the lens of meetings, but through the lens of doing life. Because that's what I mean by community. Christian writer Jen Schmidt puts it well. Community is not just about being together. It's about doing life together. Perhaps my definition would be God-centered community is simply doing life with Jesus together. God-centered community is where God is central to all that we do and are. My little thing for it, as some of you have heard, is that we want to be an up-out-in community. What do I mean by that? Uh, we want to be an up community, growing up, deeper relationship with God. We want to be an out community as we love and reach out to those around us. We want to be an in-community, growing as we get into deeper, authentic relationships with each other. But that's not easy. Philip Yancey, the Christian writer, puts it well. Anyone can form a club. It takes grace, shared vision, and hard work to form a community. 
When you think of church, think more like Alcoholics Anonymous than the golf club. You'll be closer to the truth. Oh God, I need you. We are a bunch of needy, broken people who have found hope in God. Now, please hear me. I know and I've seen and I hear there are so many great examples of Christian community in this church, in Hope Church, right across the board. So I'm not talking about something completely new. But I do believe God is drawing us to something deeper and wider. A deeper, wider expression of community. And I'll tell you one reason why. Because there are some people in our great church who are lonely. There are still some people who feel isolated in our church. We have perhaps people who aren't here with us today who feel unconnected. You may even be here today and still feel unconnected in any meaningful way. And I believe God wants us to grow in this area. So let's see what we're up against. So, number one, I've told you we had three enemies. Number one, we have an enemy, the devil. The Israelites' most obvious enemy was Pharaoh, the baddie. Pharaoh opposed what God was doing. He ruled by fear and oppression and violence. They were forced to obey. He wanted to keep them so tied up in what they're doing that they wouldn't listen to deceptive words. That's what he called it. It was actually what God was saying. It was the truth. He wanted them not to hear the truth. And we have an enemy too, the devil. He is no match for God. He is powerful, but not all powerful. He roams the earth, but he's not everywhere. And Jesus has defeated him on the cross and as he rose again. But for now, we're in a battle because the devil opposes what we want to do. And sometimes, you know, we can forget, can't we? And the main weapons of the devil, fear and lies. I don't know about you, I can't think of a time in my life when we have been so surrounded by a swirling amount of fear and lies and anxiety, where we see a tidal wave of mental health issues coming towards us. But whether it's COVID and the aftermath, whether it's the cost of living crisis, or whether it's war that instead of being in a faraway land is actually coming nearer to our shores, we have good news. We have good news. Jesus constantly says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus promised never to leave us or forsake us. And I need to know that because the battle with fear and anxiety is not out there, it's actually in here, in my heart and in my mind. That's where the battle rages. Common sense and caution are good, but fear traps and enslaves us. And if we're not careful, it can prevent us from doing what God has called us to do. Friends, I believe, and I felt in that prophetic word that came before, this is a time for us to rise up and to fight. This is a time for us to take action. What do I mean? Well, I want to share with you some questions I've been asking myself. Maybe some of them will land home for you. Have I got meaningful connection with others in this church family? 
Might be simple. When was the last time I had people round to my home? Or met with a group of others? Am I fearful that if I reach out to someone new, someone I don't know, that they'll reject me? Or maybe I'll get dragged into all their life and their problems. What is there that I used to do that I've stopped doing? And now I'm not so sure about doing it. I think there are barriers that we need to break down. And I want to share an example with you. Uh, it's Jay's story. That's Jay. I'm reading something he wrote and sent to me. It all began because I could see myself getting bored and irritated in the new year. I went church shopping in the lead up to Christmas, but didn't visit or view online anywhere twice. Came back to Hope in January. It was pretty energizing to see familiar faces and get lost in worship again. One evening, I wanted something midweek during winter to avoid the endless, unremarkable evenings, otherwise known as Netflix. I didn't want to commit long-term to a community group because previously these had gone stale. So I thought I would run something short and hopefully energizing for whoever wanted to join out of my so-called friendship group. I do honestly get on well with all of them, but on the whole, they are unremarkable introverts, as am I. To maintain our attention, I limited it to six weeks. Tomorrow we're halfway through. Discussions are short, Two Zoom limited sessions of less than 30 minutes each, it's working well. We considered our attention span. And I set a small challenge for in each week. It does all end up being uplifting and godly, but the mechanics are very functional. That's all there is to it. I'm honestly looking forward to tomorrow. What I love about Jay's story is he is honest about his struggles his questions, his fears, concerns. He could have responded differently. Oh, he's there. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. Uh, he could have responded differently, but he chose to do something positive about it, to take action. Because Jesus overcame the devil, we can take steps to overcome our fears. We really can. And being in community helps us do that. We can encourage one another. I'm going to return to some practical steps at the end because I'd love to help you. But before we get there, let's remember we have another enemy, the flesh. What the Bible calls the flesh, we don't really talk about a great deal, do we? It's our natural, animalistic character. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and interests and instincts. It's what governed us before we came to faith. And if you look in Exodus 5, you can see it at work. You can see God's people. Yeah, we're all up for being rescued. Moses, we're right behind you. God's going to save us and rescue us. But the minute it doesn't quite work out as they thought, the minute the going gets tougher... The tough don't get going, they just start moaning at Moses. Who could imagine that happening? We are to crucify the flesh with its passions. That sounds drastic. What does it mean? Oh, I think in my heart it means dealing with the things in my heart that are selfish. 
that are judgmental, that are lazy. COVID provided me with all sorts of excuses not to engage with people, not to open my home, to keep others at arm's length. So maybe crucifying the flesh for me might mean engaging with people when I've kind of quite got used to having my time to myself. Opening my home to others again. You know they say an Englishman's home is his castle. I've got news, God's not English. (laughs) God is hospitable and welcoming, entertains strangers. Jesus told us to invite people who won't invite us back. Having meals with people you disagree with. Have you noticed how often Jesus did that? There's a challenge. Sharing my possessions, my life, helping out someone in a different situation to me, a lone parent, a single person into my family life. You see, meetings can fill a slot in my diary, can't they? But actually, community invades my diary. Community makes demands on my diary that go beyond a slot. That's the reality. What's your battle this morning? It's so easy, isn't it, to take the path that gives in to my laziness, my desire for comfort. Nice meeting, get home, have lunch. What if God breaks out? Never mind lunch. Let's see what he'll do. Staying in my comfort zone instead of stepping out. Being silent instead of speaking out. Hiding my faith instead of talking about it. Just sympathizing with somebody instead of praying for them as Guy encouraged us to do recently. It's a whole bunch of things. But this is for sure. Pandering to our flesh can actually cause us to miss out on what God wants for us. We're not called to a life of comfort. I'm sorry to tell you that. If you didn't know, we are not called to a life of of comfort. We're called to a life of worship and pilgrimage. That's what it's about. Let me tell you about a couple of other women in the church. They won't be here because they're at North. This is Linda and Jackie. There they are. So these, these guys are stepping out of their comfort zone. Just before lockdown, they approached me about starting a group in their locality, which is South Wonston, because they want to impact and reach their community. Well, they kept it all the flame alive all through COVID because we couldn't do very much. And since COVID, they've started. And in the last few months, they've gathered, started to gather people towards that vision to pray and to act. And I got an email a couple of weeks back, so excited that they were gathering and they were actually drawing a couple of people from different churches in South Wanston who share their heart for mission. They're stepping out of their comfort zone and I'm expecting more stories to come. Why am I sharing you these stories, sharing these stories with you? Well, it's partly because these are people who are part of our church that you probably don't know. You don't see them at the front here very often if at all. They're ordinary people, just like me and you. And they're doing something. And they're stepping out of their comfort zone. They're overcoming their fears. And that means you could too. Now I'm focusing a little bit on the cost. But of course it's not all loss. There's actually joy. There's actually gain. Because 
We are meant for life-giving relationships. We are meant to have friends. They are good for our souls. Let me tell you, most Wednesday mornings, I meet here with a bunch of people. We call ourselves the little Bible study group. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> Actually, they're not, we're not so little anymore. There was 21 of us the other day. It's been a tremendous thrill and a joy for me to be with a bunch of people from all different backgrounds, uh, church, non-church, people who are a long time being Christians and recent Christians, and come, seeing them coming to know God and growing in Him. It's an attractive thing. It's often the highlight of my week, if I'm honest. They encourage my heart. They laugh a lot. They puncture my pride. They share their ups and downs honestly. They love me, they must do. And I love them. They're a great example. They're a great example of an accepting, non-judgmental community. Not the only one, just one I experience. I find my middle-class diary culture my middle class home is my castle culture is challenged by the way they live. They'll do anything for each other. They really will. They share. It's wonderful to see. And we laugh an awful lot. We enjoy eating together. Cake is almost always on the menu. It's fun. I could go on. Jesus endured the cross crucifying the flesh for the joy that was set before him. And there is joy in community. Please, God, we don't want to be a miserable God-centered community. We want to be a God-centered community that's overflowing with joy and thanksgiving. Okay, I'm running out of time. We have a final enemy, the world. I'm not going to say much about that, really. The world, just let me say this, the world is not the people of this world. <laughs> God so loved the people of this world that he sent Jesus. The world is the systems of this world. The systems that are not based on godly principles, based on greed and selfishness and all sorts of things. And everything about the Egyptian culture reminded the people of God that they were slaves. But God was going to change that. Don't let us, let us not allow our culture to kid us that we are slaves. We are a countercultural people and we need to live like a counter-cultural people the world will confirm and amplify my fears seek to drown out God's truth tell me that I'm right to all the things that my flesh would rather I did but God wants us to be counter-cultural I believe that we are far more likely to overcome the devil the world and the flesh if we are in meaningful community to encourage and help one another. It means a daily choice to put God at the center. It means that we need to explore together and wrestle. What does it look like to be a God-centered community in the 21st century in Britain? How do we grow an intergenerational, multicultural family here in Hope Church? So as I'm coming into land, I believe God's calling us to a season of connection right across the church 
whether you're here today in North, you're listening online, I think God is wanting us to grow in our connection. Connection with old friends, connection with new friends. So one way that we're going to try and help do that is in mid-March, we're aiming to launch a whole variety of small groups that you can choose to sign up and be part of, running alongside our existing groups and our alpha. So I'm going to call them Connect Groups. I hope it'll remind you of what I said this morning. They're going to be Connect Groups from the middle of March. But right now, I need your ideas. So if you have a passion, if you have a skill, you have an activity, you have a sport that you could share with others, you could host a Connect Group. You could. Yes, you could. Don't listen to that little voice that says in your head, I couldn't do that. Yes, you could. You really could. And here's how it's going to work. How, the, how it works out is entirely up to you. When you start a group, when you finish a group, how many times you meet, when and where you meet, that's up to you. Whether it's uh, cycling or cake baking, artwork or curry making, film nights to pub walks, Bible study, book reviews, you name it, I want to hear about it. All different pathways to help us connect. It could look like all sorts of things. It could, look, could be a multi-generational group that welcomes people into experienced family. It could be just a few of you who really want to share at a deep heart level your successes, your failures, and to encourage each other. It could be just around a meal. It could be, it could be anything. Whatever it is, by the time I've finished here today, you should have got an email in your inbox from me, Marvels of Technology. I tell you, I wrote it before. <laughs> so, what you need to do to register your idea, there you go. Check your email inbox, make sure you've got it. Click on the link in it. It'll take you to a little form that you need to fill in that will come to me and I will get back to you. It's that simple. So we're going to do that over the next two weeks, and then in the middle of March, we'll open it up for everybody to sign up. And I hope we have something for everybody. We want to be a community that looks outwards, too. So just to say, in case you're wondering, we are going to be starting Alpha again. The Tuesday nights, five Tuesday nights in May, Alpha is coming. And you can pre-register for that from the middle of March as well. So have a think about Alpha. Maybe you've had conversations with neighbors and friends and family over these last two years that have raised questions. Great place to bring them. Say, what was that all about? Let's explore where God was in all that. Okay, I'm coming to the end. Can the band come back up, please? I want to finish by just encouraging you. God is calling us to deeper and wider community. And if you are not, if you don't feel connected in any meaningful way, I urge you to take a step to do something. Maybe your existing community group has come to the end of its life. Well, I encourage you, get stuck into these groups. Find another way to connect. Consider being a host of a connect group. Or if you don't feel you can do that, consider coming to one. Make sure you connect. Because God-centered community starts with a God-centered 
me. God-centered community starts with a God-centered me and then leads to others. Our commitment to grow community comes out of surrender to God. We're not trying to make something that is of this world. We're trying to allow God to make something that is of heaven here among us. So, let's make this a season of fun and of friendships, of new and renewed friendships, of a journey deeper into God-centered community.